Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Tina Swiven is back on today's episode. Last week, we were talking about reunification camps. If you did not hear that episode, listen to that first and then join us here. She starts off this episode talking about how the reunification camps or the reunification therapy is paid for. It's 50-50, meaning the protective parent has to pay 50% of the fees for putting their own child in danger and exposing their child to abuse. So not only are they punished in that they can't see their child or that their child is taken away, but also because it's a financial burden for them to have to pay for the abuser to have contact with their child. It's usually divided 50-50, but there are lots of different uh, situations where that has gone in different directions. But we heard a story recently where a mom made a plea to the court that she could not afford the camp and was told to cash out her daughter's college fund to pay for it. Wow. And so on day two of these camps, the kids are told they're, they're forced to play memory games to show them that their memory is not always accurate and that their preferred parent or protected parent was lying and that the abuse did not happen. And so it's professional organized gaslighting. When I read the, the actual words from the people who own the camp, any psychologist who understands these dynamics would say this is gaslighting. Psychological warfare, really, of children. Absolutely. <sighs> so this is therapy, and also with the camps, they are act. They can actually be kidnapped and removed from their home too, right? So it can take place in yeah. either way. Yeah. Yeah, and they a lot of times cross state lines. A lot of times they are um, operating out of Airbnbs or in hotel suites. There are a few camps actual physical locations. There's one in Texas, there's one in California, but most of the time, and the way they avoid human trafficking charges by crossing state lines, they transfer custody at each leg. So when the transport agents come in to remove the children, they have guardianship. And then when they take the children to the camp, they transfer custody to the camp owner. And then ultimately the 
alleged abuser is the one who maintains custody and the people who own the camp, the way it's written in the court orders, they maintain full control of the case for at least a year. And in all of these cases, once the four-day reunification camp is complete, the preferred parent is not allowed back in. There's a 90-day blockout period where they're allowed no contact. And if contact is made or attempted, the 90 days starts all over again. But it's never 90 days. We have stories where parents have been two years, four years without their children. And some parents don't even know where their children are two years later. It is a systematic form of child abuse. Absolutely. And I think it's can be even more traumatizing and abusive than what the kids have already been through. You know, the stories that I've heard from these survivors, it would break a healthy grown adult. So these kids will be the change. They are starting to age out of the system and speak out about these things. The media is finally paying attention and covering these stories. And I think it's a matter of time before it is exposed for what it is. It's human trafficking. Tina was recently interviewed on a podcast called Civic. The title is called The Industry of Defending Child Abusers. It's an in-depth investigative report of this, and it's really detailed. It's excellent. We will have a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to Tina's website, One Mom's Battle, in the show notes that you can find if you want to learn more about this. And I know all of you listening are really interested in this because you're either currently in a relationship with abuser and wondering if you need to set the boundary of divorce or work toward some type of separation, or maybe it's post- divorce and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with uh, custody in your divorce case. So we know everyone is interested in this and I want everyone to be prepared for what they're up against when it comes to civil cases with custody. Due to the financial abuse and the litigation abuse that you experienced through the 10 years of legal abuse that you endured, you needed to do your case pro se, which means that you were representing yourself and So I am like so proud of you and impressed by you that you did that and that you just kept fighting for your kids. That's awesome. When you finally were able to protect your children, talk about how you felt and like what happened after that? Like your kids finally don't have to do parent time with him. How does that feel? You know, it was interesting that you asked because, you know, I've shared this with close friends and family members where I have visualized for so long what that day would feel like, because that's what we hope for. That's what we pray for. And so, but on the day that visits were finally ended and he wasn't even allowed to call the girls, it was no contact period. I walked out of the courthouse and I had imagined that it would just be a flood of tears and this huge relief because that juncture was around the six year mark. And I left that courthouse and I felt like I had been in shock, almost a disassociative state. And it had been six years of living in fight or flight mode. There was a period of time where I slept with a hammer under my pillow because I was in fear of our, for our lives. And so to be granted peace, it probably took me about three months before the floodgates opened 
and I started to process what had happened. And I'm still in therapy. I mean, it's 13 years ago is when my case started and I'm still processing the trauma. I often say the post-separation abuse and watching what my children endured without being able to protect them, which is what nature intended for me to do, was by far more abusive than what I experienced during my relationship. And I think the family court system and institutional betrayal is to blame for that. Do you know the details of what happened when the Utah Attorney General, Sean Reyes, decided to get involved with the case with Ty and Brinley and sent people down to Provo to observe to see if everything was going according to the law or whatever. Do you know what happened with the details of that and why they just thought, oh, this makes sense. This looks good. I have no idea why nothing came of that because it gave everyone so much hope to know that the attorney general's office was assigning someone to pay attention to this case and to watch the final days of these hearings in Judge Poland's courtroom, but the ruling that, I mean, the, the ruling that came down is shocking to everyone. Every time I'm speaking to a journalist or a media person and explaining this, that this dad received full custody, even though there are findings of severe and chronic abuse, but that Judge Poland gave him full custody, yet he can't be unsupervised with his own kids. The court orders that the kids are separated and put into two different houses with paternal family members versus their mom. their mom. And so the fact that the attorney general was witness to that unfolding is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, that they're not like, um, that's weird, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is crazy. I... I I'm constantly shocked, actually, that that people say things and then they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Recently, the same pediatrician that I was talking about at the beginning, she gave these pictures of bruises on these children to court, testified that they'd been abused. And the guardian ad litem in that case and the judge both said, oh, yeah, hmm, I don't really think that that counts as abuse. Like, and just no problem. 50-50 custody. Unbelievable. It is shocking, especially in a state like Utah that really thinks that children are important, apparently. And I'm like, apparently not. Apparently, they really value men's exploitative privilege. Absolutely. I think that pretty much sums up <laughs> the, the majority of what we're all up against. Yeah. We don't necessarily know what the solutions are per se, like exactly, right? There's there's a um, cadence law that I'd like you to talk about, but I'd like you to talk about like the path forward on two different fronts. The first one is what women who are currently experiencing abuse and perhaps considering a divorce boundary to separate themselves from harm can do, or if they're post-separation, so just to protect themselves and their own children, if you have any tips. And then secondly, what just concerned citizens could do. So if you could just point to the path forward on those two fronts, that would be great to close us out. So in terms of a parent who is still in the abusive relationship, you know, it's heartbreaking to me because I get the messages saying, I've read your story or I watch what's happening 
you know, on your blog with other stories and I would rather stay because I know that I have a better chance of protecting my kids. And what a failure this system is when victims of domestic abuse would rather stay in the relationship than risk losing their children to their abuser. That is a failure in itself. But I cannot emphasize the importance of understanding your local system, learning it like the back of your hand, really entrenching yourself in who the judges are, who the bad players are, who the good players are, having an attorney that truly gets it. And I I always struggle or hesitate to use this term, but radical acceptance, it is not a system that's in children's best interest. And unfortunately, it is a system that requires a tremendous amount of strategy. And it shouldn't, and that's not fair and it's not just, but that is the reality of what we're up against. So really documenting everything, and and people cringe when I say that, and I always say 99% of my documentation has never been seen by anyone but I would do it all again because the 1% that I was able to showcase in court or in custody evaluations is what protected my kids. And then in really, you know, to, to reference what the solutions are last year with the violence against women's act passing at the federal level, it's the first time that the federal government has recognized that we have a crisis in the family court system and they passed Caden's Law with VAWA. It's K-A-Y-D-E-N-S. You can find out more about it at nationalsafeparents.org. It incentivizes states, and I don't remember the exact dollar amounts, but it incentivizes states to adopt Caden's Law in their state. And so there is a push right now in Montana. There's one starting up in Utah and across the country, California. One of the things it will do is restrict expert testimony to those who are appropriately qualified to provide it. The standards for the experts, it's a lot of the people in the alienation industry who are pushing their own agenda. And so it will create a standard for expert testimony, which is long overdue. You would think that would be common sense in the family court system, but unfortunately it's not. And it would limit the use of reunification camps and therapies, which are not proven to be safe and effective. So it's going to address the issue we've talked about here today, and it's going to require that family courts consider past abuse. And right now they don't, you know, they, they can say that just because he abused you doesn't mean he abused the kids and they are so wrong on that. So, and they're calling for evidence-based training for judges and family court professionals, which again, that just seems like common sense. My dog groomer is required to have a certain amount of hours to receive her certification to groom my dog, yet our family court judges have no training that needs to stop. I found it very interesting. I didn't know this until you said it, but that they're being trained by the parental alienation side. They're going to conferences where people are talking about this. They're like, okay, it's fine that I get trained by people who want to protect child abusers, but like heaven forbid I'm required. Because in Utah right now, the judges are like, 
no way. Like, why do I need to get trained about child abuse? I know everything already. I think there's this also, I see this quite a bit and it's super, super annoying to me and traumatic to me that certain therapists or guardian ad litems or custody evaluators think so highly of themselves that they are flattered by the abuser. So they think that they've turned him into a safe person. So they're like, oh, here we have this man who's been abusive in all these ways. And I, through my helpful guidance, am going to tell him, hey, you've been abusive and you've been terrible. And then when he grooms them and says, I know that was wrong. I'm not ever going to do that again. They pat themselves on the back as if like, so good that I was part of this case. It's so nice now that, that, that these parents can co-parent together and these kids can be safe and they can have their dad in their life and everything is going to be okay now because I did such a good job. Right. Right? I think there's a high level of narcissism in our family court professionals. I think there's a range between that high level of narcissism and financial incentive that it's in their best interest to keep these kids going through this pipeline of alienation services and and all of it. So I I think that's a huge issue in the family court system. So if you are horrified by this, which I hope that you are, I hope that you feel angry. I hope that you feel upset. And I hope that that justifiable righteous anger motivates you to get more educated about this. There are three things you need to do. Number one, go to nationalsafeparents.org and find out how you can support having a law like Caden's Law passed in your state. Go to One Mom's Battle, which is an excellent place for resources if you are going through this yourself. And then also, please, if you have a social media account, which I totally support you if you do not, but if you do, post podcasts like that civic podcast that I mentioned that the links will be in the show notes post this podcast. What is Ty's, Ty's TikTok? So one of the children who is involved with this, he, who is currently barricaded in his room, his TikTok is at stupid underscore flipper. I think just talking to people about it and getting the word out that this is occurring, most people who I talk to, especially in my case, when I said I had a supported domestic abuse case, right? And he pled guilty. They think the next thing is, oh, I'm so glad you're safe. I'm glad your kids don't have to go with him. And when I say the next thing, no, he actually got more custody. Just shock ensues, right? Most people aren't aware that this is happening. So helping get the word out is the most important thing I think um, that people can do unless they're involved in their own case. If you're involved in your own current situation, Focus on yourself, right? You don't need to change the world right now, but learn through strategy and through other means how to keep yourself safe. At BTR, we have a BTR strategy workshop and we also have a boundaries workshop that help women navigate just what to do with the abuser themselves, not necessarily related to their children. And then Tina's site, One Mom's Battle, is a really good resource for parents. When everyday citizens who are not affected by the family court system link arms with us and demand better for our children, that's where we are going to see a change. Because right now, it's so easy to label all of us as hysterical moms. And that bias is overwhelming. And we really need people who aren't involved in family court to stand with us in outrage and to reach out to their legislators and and put this on their radar that it is an absolute crisis. 
It is a crisis, and our children are being hurt. I met with a legislator about Caden's Law here in Utah, and I just said to him, currently, right now, today, there are safe parents who are trying to protect their own children from a known child abuser, and the court is prohibiting them from protecting them. And the more they try to protect their kid, the worse off it gets for everybody. Absolutely. Well, Tina, thank you so much for your hard work. We appreciate everything you do to bring this issue to light. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.